This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. And this is Nadine Cameron. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? What defines success? Well, Nadine, we got a great show today. It's uh, Today we're going to talk about taxes. Oh, that sounds wonderful, Alan. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's excited about that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, it's a necessary evil in life. But, uh, but also, we're going to talk about IRS audits, too. Oh, oh yeah. well, maybe you can give us some insight being a CPA. Well, also, not only a CPA, I was also a former IRS agent. Oh, and so I've okay. seen both sides of the fence. I've seen what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And I can give a perspective from an IRS agent standpoint as well as the CPA. We'll talk about how to avoid an audit. And uh, also, what happens if the iris comes calling on your door? Wow, that's gonna, you know, that's why your services are so valuable. Well, anyways, hey, before that, let's let's get into a quick story. I want to tell the story about uh, in our changing world. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that happen out there that often go unrecognized. I want to tell a story about a guy. His name was Cliff Young, and uh, yeah, so. Cliff lived down in Australia, and every year in Australia, there was this endurance race. It ran uh, 543 miles. So That's but that's longer than a marathon, isn't it? <laughs> well, a marathon is around 26. Yeah. So this is like several running. Days. This is from, you know, like running from here to, to uh, Winnemucca, Nevada. Wow. <laughs> or, or I think I think it's even further than that. Maybe Elko, Elko, Nevada, oh. from the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, long way, and and you know, if for a world class athlete to run this race, it'd take like five days to run. The athletes would be young and professionally trained, and have huge sponsorships. Well, Cliff shows up to the race, and uh, he's wearing his work boots and his overalls. <laughs> and uh, Cliff, oh, he's ready. <laughs> he, yeah, he was. And uh, the other thing, he was sixty one years old. And wow. um, as, as he showed up, you know, the officials thought that this guy was a a spectator gone astray is standing in the wrong place. <laughs> and uh but but when he picked up his number everyone realized this guy is serious. He's gonna run this race in work boots and overalls. And uh they, they said, Hey Cliff, we don't think you're gonna finish the race. You know, you you don't look like the world class athlete on the starting line. And and Cliff said, you know, look, he says, I, I can finish this race. He says, I grew up on a farm where I couldn't afford horses or tractors. And the whole time I was growing up, whenever the storms would roll in, I'd have to go out and round up my sheep. And uh, we had 2,000 sheep on 2,000 acres. And sometimes I have to run those sheep for two or three days. And and so it took a long time, but I'd always catch him, and I believe I can run this race. At 61 years old. 61 years old. So it, wow. it's giving a perspective about type of individual that Cliff is. And, uh, and, and so as the professional athletes sat down, they calculated that in order to finish the race, they need to run for 18 hours straight each day, and then they sleep for six. Everyone knew this except for Cliff Young. <laughs> so, anyways, the race began. Everyone began running, and uh, they, the, those professional athletes just took off. And well, Cliff was immediately left in the dust, and he didn't even run properly. He uh, he shuffled his feet. And on the second day of the race, everyone had forgotten about Cliff. Uh, but to everyone's surprise, he had jogged all night long, and it was determined and was determined to run just for the next five days straight without sleeping. 
Is that humanly possible? <laughs> well, you know, if, if you were to talk about this before the race, I think, of course, people say no one could go without sleep for that five-day period, but no one believed it was possible, but Cliff. So Cliff kept on going and going and going, just kept running straight. And each night, he became a little bit closer to the leading pack, but by the final day, he had surpassed all the runners of the world-class athletes. And he was the first to cross the finish line and in the process set a new course record. Wow. So Cliff's, Cliff's Shuffle was named after him because he became known as the Young Shuffle. Cliff Young, <laughs> right? <laughs> so after Cliff won the race, he was approached with prize money of $10,000. He hadn't realized that there was a cash reward involved. He had just wanted to run the race. And there had been 10 other runners to finish the race. And so Cliff figured out that uh, they all worked as hard as he did as well. So he gave each one of the 10 runners $1,000 as a thank you for all the work that they put into running that race. What an amazing story and an example of generosity. What determination. And yeah, I've never heard this story. What a positive work ethic. You think, I, I think so. I think it also, it also tells a lesson about how it wasn't all about Cliff. Cliff, although he ran the race, he did it to, to prove to himself he could do it. He wasn't doing it for the money. Right. And he immediately, once he proved that he could do it, won the race. He looked outside himself, and he gave away the reward money as a thank you to everyone else who ran with him. Yeah, he could have bought a tractor or, or some kind of horse to round up his sheep with. <laughs> One would think so. Yeah, well, what an amazingly generous man. You know, I think the, the story there from Cliff's story that we can learn that each one of us can change the world and have a little impact for, for good. You know, we, we don't have to do the things the same way as everyone else. Find what works for you and then do it. Believe in yourself. Move out of your comfort zone. And so what if others don't think that, you know, what you're trying to do is, is even possible? You know, if you know that it will work, then do it. Know your limits and be sure to push yourself beyond the limits. And I think you can apply that to business, too. I think so. I think so. You, you can look in the business world. You can look outside your, yourself, and you can find that there's always opportunities to make a difference. Last night, I gave a presentation here local to the community. Um, the, the Fremont Chamber and the, uh, the library, Alameda County Library, had asked me to come do a, a presentation on how to retire in this economy. Oh, that's a good uh, presentation. <laughs> well, it was, the, the room is packed. Yes. You know, and and the thing that the thing that I saw in the people's faces was, you know, uh, the, the long forlorn faces and uh, people just lacking hope. Well, because they've a lot of these people have their retirement in the stock market, and the stock market has performed so poorly. Even yesterday with Greece, it's it's just really. Um deteriorating their, I, their their savings. You know, I went over to uh, the, my stockbroker the other day, and he says, you know, I just took a six-week sabbatical. And from the, the starting day to the finishing day, the market rose 600 points. And I said, that's amazing. Well, the following day, it fell over 200 points. And I said, you know, I bet you couldn't tell me the day before what was going to happen the following day. No, and and so when, when we're looking at the stock market, when we're looking at trying to predict certainty in an uncertain world, you know, there's a couple rules that people should live by. First of all, if you find yourself watching the market constantly, 
if if you're captivated by you know is the market going to go up is it going to go down unless you're a stockbroker you probably got too much money in there because it's causing you more concern that you need to be worrying about. Is that what the, the advice you gave to these uh, potential retirees? I did. I did. I, I, you know, I tell the story. When I was in college, I, um, I always wanted to get this stock, Warner Communications, because they owned Atari. And so yeah, I was trading in the mid-60s, and uh, one day the stock fell roughly $30 a share. Ooh. I said, ha, it's on sale. So I ran down the stock worker and I said, you know, here's a couple thousand dollars. Buy me some Warner Communications stock. And um, the next day, the stock fell five more points. And I said, yeah, that wasn't supposed to happen. It just fell 30, mm-hmm. another five. I ran back to stock worker. And I said, excuse me, but that's really my college education money that I gave you. And uh, I said, I need to get, I need to fix this. I need mm-hmm. to fix this uh, transaction. And uh, the stockbroker said, well, why don't we call the analyst back in New York? And he didn't tell how much stock we had. Let's see what he has to say. Well, the analyst said, um, I've been telling you guys to sell that for months now. And uh, don't tell me you're asking anyone to buy it or listening. <laughs> <laughs> and I was hearing the speakerphone call, and I said, ugh. And uh, the broker says, well, what do you want to do? And I said, Phew. I said, yeah. and I thought to myself, I thought this broker makes money buying stock and selling stock. That's and I said, sad. I'm going to deny him the commission. And and so I dug my heels firm into the ground, and I watched the stock fall from thirty dollars a share to twenty dollars a share within the next you know few weeks. And uh, the lesson I learned there is every day I had to watch that thing, wondering when it was going to go to sixty. And finally, I got tired. I, I realized this was just, I was obsessive towards, you know, trying to get my return, you know, my lost, my lost profits. And I finally moved out and I sold it. I bought Hewlett Packard and I watched it climb 50% in the same time that Warner Communications stayed flat. Right. And so what I learned from that was, you know, a, a couple of things. First of all, don't invest money that you can afford that that you cannot afford to lose. And then second, if you're watching the market too much, you know, take money out. Right. Put enough it's on the creating sideline. too much stress in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to make it, it worth it. Yeah. yeah. So today's in, in today's world of uncertainty, you need to measure where your thoughts are, what's giving you anxiety. You know, if you're losing uh, sleep, you know, figure out what you can do to make things better on that. Right. So, well, I'll tell you, one, one thing that can make people lose sleep is the IRS. <laughs> and we're going to roll into a couple things about the strategies to avoid an IRS audit. But, uh, but we got to take a short break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. Alan Olson here with Nadine Cameron. Hello, everyone. And we're going to talk about how to avoid IRS audits. Uh, Just a fun little topic there, Alan. <laughs> well, you know, I think it, it's it's something that gives everyone a rise for concern, you know, yes. either before you're filing return or after you're filing your return. It's like, uh, you know, is the IRS ever going to come audit me? And what happens if they do audit me? Have I kept my records in good order? What if I had to go produce everything? Yes. yes. Lo- lots of anxiety there. But, uh, you know, the number of IRS audit uh, right now, they're on the rise. In in 2010, the Internal Revenue Service audited 18.4% of the taxpayers making over $10 million. And that percentage increased by about 8% over the, the earlier year. 
So, uh, you know, what does it mean? It, well, first of all, you know, the, it, it, it makes sense for them to go after the people with the more money because they have greater adjustments. Um, but likewise, it also shows that they're getting a little bit better in their enforcement techniques. For years, um, as a professional CPA, uh, we didn't hear from the IRS. Uh, we just, you know, we wondered what was going on, and they had been focusing on all this automatic collection programs and sending mm -hmm. out the, the notices for the 1099 reconciliations. Um, but uh, but they've moved on, and, and they're looking at different programs now where they're trying to really raise the big bucks to close this tax gap. Right. is the deficit that they're uh, – even in California – I, I've heard that the Franchise Tax Board, even with the little guys, not just the 10 million wage earners, um, they have a big deficit. And so they're stepping up their collection practices a little uh, little tougher on it and a little quicker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The FTB also likewise. They're a little bit different than the IRS. If you get called into an audit by the Franchise Tax Board, uh, you just need to be prepared and know the rules. Know the ground rules of uh, you know what your rights are. Right. So... So um, I'm sure you've seen several situations where the IRS audits could have been avoided by individuals that had prepared better. What are some ways that an individual can prepare? <laughs> well, first of all, the obvious is out there. File your tax return. You right. Know? Uh, you know, I'll tell you. So before getting into specifics on, on the planning, one of the hardest things to defend is if you got money during the year and the IRS is getting these 1099 notices or even W-2s and saying, you know, these, these people got a lot of money during the year and you don't file your return, you know, well, you're, you're just setting yourself up for an audit. Right. Um, a lot of people will be like deer in the headlights and say, well, you know, I don't want to file my return because uh, I don't have the money to pay the taxes. Mm -hmm. It's a lot better for you to get that return prepared and in the mail than for you to do nothing. Because the chances are if you get a timely file return and then you write the IRS and say, hey, can you set me up a payment plan? It at least shows the intent that you're trying to comply versus the individual that says, I'll wait till I have the money and then I'll file the return. Well, that's non-compliance. And the IRS may just go ahead, very well go ahead and, uh, and prepare the return for you. A uh, big initiative recently has been in the area of the foreign bank account reporting rules. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, there, there's been a few taxpayers, I won't say a lot, but there's been a few, that have had money offshore. And uh, the IRS finally got on this initiative, and they said, any, any one of you with over $10,000 offshore in a bank account that's been earning money, and you know we've been asking you for years to come forward and, and disclose what's going on over there. And um, and, and we're going to give you some amnesty. They did amnesty in 2009, then 2011. It just ended this, this last September, where they would allow people to make their go back and amend returns and you know, make their reporting. Mm -hmm. But they said that if there were those individuals that had earned income and failed to report the income, the IRS was not necessarily going to allow them to come forward and say, you know, it's, uh, you know, I forgot to file this income. They made them go through the special process called a, you know, filing with the IRS, and they had all sorts of penalties associated with that. So individuals that are in that situation are well aware of what's out there in the news, and, uh, you know, if they weren't sure what they were doing, they need to get an attorney or 
or, or, or professional help to get, get through. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, when we're talking about IRS audits, there's always those individuals that may make some honest mistakes, and um, and and for the most part, uh, you know, not draw attention to yourself. If, so, so we need to, de- in order to decrease our chances, you're one be honest, file on time, even if you don't have the money to pay, because you could always set up payment arrangements uh, with the IRS. Um, what are some of the other ways to decrease our chances of, of being audited or to help us in case we are? Well, be organized. You know, if, if you're well organized in there, then you're, you're, your chances are if you're audited, you have the records in place, you can immediately write to the IRS and say, okay, here, here you're looking at these deductions. I mean, I just finished an IRS audit and, uh, you know, representing a client, we went into the first meeting and this IRS agent was very aggressive and felt that she was doing her job by putting a big adjustment in, in place. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, this individual was very well organized. And I said, I want you to know, IRS agent, you are wrong for what you're doing. Uh, this, this individual did nothing wrong. They're obeying the law. They filed everything in accordance with the law. And you're being a little bit aggressive here. You know, and oh. <laughs> and so so I said we're going to just uh, protest this, and, and we took it up to the next level. And the appeal agent gave us every single adjustment, allowed it. All right. So sometimes there's a need to appeal. There is a need to appeal. You got to know what your rights are. Um, be prepared if you're self-employed. The IRS loves to come pick on self-employed individuals. Uh, you're speaking to someone who is self-employed. <laughs> well, it's uh, th- there's there's nothing wrong with being self-employed, but there are ways that you can prepare your return to uh, to avoid audits. And oftentimes, how you disclose into things on the tax return make the difference in whether you're selected or not. So I'll give you an example. I had an individual who's self-employed and uh, decided that he was going to go set up this um, entertainment facility. And he was going to take all his prospective clients and he was going to have them come down and and uh, be entertained and, and connect it with a deduction for his business. Hmm. And uh, I said, well, you can do that as long as you meet the test of is it an ordinary and necessary business expense. In other words, you know, you, you, you measure the revenue that you're getting but also the costs that are associated with what it takes to generate the revenue. Mm-hmm. So the individual, uh, I, what I recommended is I, I said, once you set up a separate entity to better track these costs and also not draw attention to yourself. The guy says, well, I think you just want to prefer another return. In this case, it's like another partnership or corporate return. I said, well, okay, I'll do whatever you want to do. Well, he filed the return. We filed it in accordance with how it got set up, and he got audited. Right. And uh, what happened is we represented him and ended up with the no change. IRS says you can take all these deductions. And uh, after we went through the audit, I gave the guy the bill for representing him. And he turned around and says, you know, I'd like to get that other entity set up right now. <laughs> I <laughs> should have gone with your advice. I said you could have avoided the whole thing. but but uh, So be careful with what you're deducting. Make sure... You, yeah, wh- you watch, consult with a CPA. Watch the deductions. A CPA can be a great check and balance for you. You wanna you wanna make sure that you're not stepping over the line, and you wanna make sure that your CPA can can advise you. If you go this direction, here are the upsides, but here are the downsides. You may put yourself in a situation. I always tell clients, I said, never underreport income. You cannot defend the fact that you're not reporting income. 
Right. Now, deductions, you can look at, is it ordinary and necessary? Right. Subjective test. Um, the other thing you want to look at is fluctuations of income. Years that you have a lot of income, years that you have no income. And um, I'll, I'll tell a story briefly on that. Um, uh, but the other thing, I'll look at the number of charitable contributions. In the charitable contribution area, you know, it's it's okay. If you made the contributions, mm -hmm. by all means, you're entitled to those deductions. Okay? But if you also are donating unique property, maybe unrelated to the organization, then you want to be careful. Make sure that you understand the rules. There, uh, there, there can be some real downside. For so, so in-kind there, that's called in-kind rather than a monetary contribution, but an in-kind char charitable contribution is analyzed a little closer. Yeah, if you're turning some, if you're turning highly appreciated property, and the IRS wants appraisals, they want to know what the basis for your decision is, and and it can result in in an audit. And uh, so you want to make sure that you got good documentation and. In place, so we. I got to take a quick break here, Nadine. But Alan, let me just ask. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Let's let's pick this up right after the uh, right after the break. Alan Olson talking about how to avoid an IRS audit. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. So, what do you do if you get caught in a situation that the IRS is knocking on your door? <laughs> well, we hope not to to reach that situation, Alan. You were you were giving us some some tips on how to avoid. Uh, that type of situation, and we were discussing avoiding fluctuations of income. You had a story, I think, that you were going to share with us. Well, there was an individual. Actually, the taxpayer recently, they, the court case came down this last month on this. Uh, they had a rental property, and they had been renting this just fine up to a few years ago, and then they ended up not finding any renters for three years. Wow. Well, these individuals continue to claim all the depreciation, all the deductions, and all the expenses. And the net result is because of the, the lack of income there, the IRS came knocking on their door. And mm. uh, they went through an IRS audit. Well, uh, individual fortunately kept really good records. Uh -huh. And uh, and they made it through just fine. In other words, they but they had to take it to tax court, and and the court finally agreed with him and said, yeah, we can understand the lack of renters in this economy, but uh, you know you you were continuing to be obligated to pay your expenses for the property tax, the interest expense, and all these other costs, and they allowed it. So um, that fluctuation of income is really what drew. Um, the IRS audit. They, yep, they they drew attention to themselves. Now the thing is, if you go through an IRS audit, they check you out, and uh, and it ends up with a no change. They're not allowed to come back and start auditing you again on the same issues for another two years. Ah, well, so, that's nice. You know your rights out there, and and also you know understand on the other side of the table, these IRS agents, yeah, they're just doing their job. Uh, there's nothing right. personal in this thing. But if they come knocking on your door and you're feeling a little anxious about why are you being evasive to my personal life, listen, it's better for you to not be in front of that person. If you're feeling some emotion, put put a barrier between you and the, the IRS agent. I um I had uh you know, the my, my greatest adjustments, easiest adjustments where when the taxpayer would walk right into the IRS and I'd be sitting there on the other side of the table and uh, he said, I'm just going to represent myself. I did nothing wrong. <laughs> and after a while of visiting, 
I find out you know, there were things that he didn't feel he did wrong, but according to the IRS code, you know, I have a basis for making adjustments. So this is when you were an IRS agent and when you have was, yeah. people coming in representing yourself. Do you suggest that people go in and represent themselves? I think they're nuts when they do. Oh. They're they're allowed to. But I'll give you an example. I went out and saw a contractor one time, and, uh, you know, it, everything was professional. He had a separate location, separate business. He had employees running, you know, around. And uh, and, and as I walked in there, I saw a computer sitting around. And I was just in the corner doing nothing, and I thought, casual conversation. I said, nice computer. And the guy says, yeah, because uh, – you know, he says, I'm not really a technology person, so I just use it for playing games. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you use the computer for games? He goes, oh, yeah, I got all these games, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I said, okay, so I made a mental note. And after checking out a couple of other things, I gave the guy a disallowance for the computer. The guy says, how can you disallow this? I said, it's not a business deduction. It's personal use. You're playing games. Now, now, can IRS agents just knock on your door, walk in on your property? Um, isn't it? Don't you? If you say you have a CPA or someone representing you, um, is it like uh, I have an attorney where you can't contact you, or they can just mm. walk in at any time? Oh, that's a that's a good point, Nadine. You know, there was a, you know, t- if people who put office in the home deductions on their return mm-hmm. are inviting the IRS to come for a home visit. Uh-huh. Uh, the IRS is allowed to see how you're using that home. And uh, there was a recent court case out by an individual who went and remodeled his home and and specifically used it for, for meeting with, with clients. And, you know, when we, uh, when we go out as an IRS agent, they'd always tell us you need to have a separate business entrance. No personal use can ever take place within this office. And if you can see that, you know, if the kids sometimes would run in there or be used for other purposes, you can disallow it. Well, just this month, they had a court case come down on office in the home. And the individual had built the home office and across the hallway, he put it in a special bathroom for for customers. Uh-huh. And so took it to court. And the the court, this is kind of a unique ruling because it kind of goes contrary to what had been done in the past where it had to be for exclusive use. The court actually ruled in this case that uh, that they believed the taxpayer should be entitled to the deduction for the home office. Uh-huh. But they disallowed the bathroom and the, the hallway associated with that because they said, well, we think that other family members are also using that for personal use. And so, uh, so they 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 kicked all the remodeling expense for the bathroom and and such out. So, so, it, so, Alan, I've got a quick question. You work with several several high net worth individuals. Are high net worth individuals more likely to be selected for an audit? Absolutely, the statistics support that. You know, they're they're more targets on the radar screen. The IRS says we can get bigger bigger and better adjustments out of high net worth individuals. So, uh, you know, and and percentage-wise, more and more are getting audited every day. So they need to really be careful with watching their deductions, fluctuation of income, charitable contributions, all of these suggestions, keeping accurate records, being honest, all of these things they need to really dot their I's and cross their T's. Also, the other thing, the high net worth individuals are typically in a situation they don't want to draw attention to themselves. They'll go out and they'll hire a competent tax professional 
to walk them through these things. And that tax professional needs to know the rules. They need to know, are there things that I need to be doing better? What about red flags? What what would a high net worth individual, what red flags would uh, attract the IRS, an audit or a door knocking, for instance? Oh, I think red flags are coming back. Office in the home is one. Okay. okay. Big fluctuations of income. Failure to report part of your income. Mm-hmm. If you have a foreign bank account and never brought it up, and uh, suddenly you know the, you're you're on the radar screen. Uh, the uh, IRS has been going to some of these other countries and asking for the list of who they're paying all the money to. They have the data, mm-hmm. and and so now they're coming back and they're they're doing house calls. And why didn't you tell us that you're getting so much money here? So, with your experience as an IRS agent at uh, Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson and Company, uh, managing partner and CPA, um, how would if someone, one of our listeners, wanted to know more, how would they contact you? Well, they can go to groco.com, and um, I also have a tax blog at grocotaxninja.com, giving direction on this. But they can call us at info at groco.com, info at groco.com. And that's G-R-O-C-O. Dot com, right. right. And and we can help you with, uh, you know, walking to the rules. Some people say, I want to represent myself, but I want to run this by you on a dry run to show you what I'm going to present. Anything wrong with this? Um, other people, they'll just say, can you just handle this for me? I'm stressed. It's too much anxiety. Right. If you're getting anxiety, don't go in front of the IRS. You might lose your emotions and then have a bigger problem uh, You know, with, with this. So um, don't panic if you're getting audited. There are people out there that can help you and uh, call a competent tax professional. Also, make sure that if you get a notice, you don't ignore it. Mm-hmm. The IRS is not going away. You were selected. You need to respond. You need to give a response to what they're asking for. And if you don't, there are huge penalties. It's probably going to cost you more time and money to undo the fact that you, you did not respond there. So follow the instructions for the notice. Don't put it off. If you agree with the correction, agree with it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, you know, just stay. I made a mistake. It's an honest mistake. I made a mistake. You know, I'll just settle it with you well, now. What about um, the huge amount of penalties you just mentioned? Is there any way to negotiate that down um, and if, or? If you, if you can show that you had reasonable cause and that you were doing things in a good faith effort, everything with the IRS is negotiable except interest. <laughs> You're not going to get out of interest. If they're putting interest on that, uh, you can't do that. But the penalties, they'll, they'll tell you the penalties are mandatory. But if you can show good faith, you know, we can go within the guidelines and try to get those waived for you. So once again, where would I uh, go to contact you if I needed more information? Well, you can go to groco.com, G-R-O-C-O.com, or aolson at groco.com. We'll get, uh, get you in contact with me. Alan Olson talking about how to avoid an IRS auto.